Thanks for listening to Julie Goodnight's Horse Master Academy podcast, presented by Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. We'll take on a new horse training or horse care topic in every episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Heidi Malacco. I'm here with Julie Goodnight. And today, Julie, we're going to talk about horses that out on the trail maybe don't want to go where you want to go or just get really obstinate that they are in charge and they're not going to go where you want. So I know a lot of times you've said you hear people saying that their horse doesn't like to do something. What's going through your mind when you hear someone say that? Hard work to carry someone around. They'd rather stay at home and sit on the couch and watch TV or whatever horses like to do. Um, (laughs) Just sort of like sometimes us adult humans don't like to go to work, but um, due to our work ethic and the structure that exists around us, we get them to work anyway because it's something we're obligated to do. So um, if a horse, if we indulge a horse and say he doesn't like doing that, therefore I'm not going to... let it, you know, I'm not going to enforce the rules because he doesn't really like it. Right. Then, um, then you're going to have to pay with the ramifications of that. And so that's my next question. How do riders get to the point that their horse won't go over something or do something? How are they, are they kind of rewarding small acts of disobedience and then they get to a point where they just can't even ride down the trail? Certainly, as as with the case of many um, horse training issues, um, it really starts with small infractions of the rules. It really uh-huh. starts with very small and subtle behaviors. Um, horses are very manipulative and very aware of um, what's going on around them, oftentimes more aware than the person is. And... Whereas us humans tend to think in big picture ideals, uh, like riding off into the sunset on the beach, um, the horse is more thinking about the next, the very next step he takes and whether or not he wants to do that. And so, um, horses employ a lot of uh, subtle strategy to try to get out of doing things they would prefer not to do. And in most instances with by the time somebody figures out they have a problem, uh, I can't get my horse to cross the creek, um, they've done many, many things on many different occasions that have led up to the horse coming to the belief that he can just stop and not go when he doesn't want to do something. So and a good example is we had a cast member on our shoot in Tennessee and I remember her application video she said my horse just won't put his feet on anything and I remember she was in her application video trying to lunge him up over uh, some kind of a dock or a platform and and so when she got to the shoot he wouldn't cross over a footbridge out on their trail obstacle and so I remember her saying that he didn't like to put his feet on something so talk a little bit more about especially putting your feet on something. What does that mean to a horse, especially maybe out in the wild? Well, first of all, in that particular instance you just described, I thought that was a very common situation between a horse and a rider. This was a well-trained, mature horse. He had been shown. He'd been hauled all over. He had pretty much been there, done that. And he was a little bit, 
prone to temper tantrums. Um, the rider was a very accomplished rider. She certainly could handle most any situation with a horse. Um, but he had, through through years or weeks or days or whatever, figured out he didn't always have to do what she was asking her to do. And horses are extremely particular about where they put their feet. Um, first of all, consider the fact that they're flight animals. And flight um, is all about survival. And so also horses, um, for instance, getting stuck in, in quicksand or bogs actually kills horses. Um, mm-hmm. So they're very fussy about where they put their feet. Falling down is can be an incredible nightmare for a horse. They'll do anything to avoid falling down because um, falling down means you might die. You might be the one that mm-hmm. gets eaten by the lion or whatever. So um, horses are very particular. Also, horses have visual challenges that we don't always relate to, riding in and out of shadows, um, real contrasting light and dark situations. Uh, They have difficulty. Their depth perception is not very good. So in challenging terrain, the horse can get worried about where he's putting his feet. And Mm -hmm. so... If he thinks he has an option of not going where you're asking him to go, it's when you meet up with the challenging situation of the mud or the creek or the um, bridge, the step up or the step down, um, that's when you're likely to encounter this kind of problem because he just simply doesn't want to put his feet there. And what do you remember seeing with this horse? Who is, I'm looking at the photos right now, really cute paint horse, just looks like stock type, looks like he should just go wherever he wants. But what do you remember about how he was with that rider when he wouldn't go over the bridge? Well, one thing I remember that was real obvious to me right off the bat was that he was not afraid of the bridge. Um, he he was making a stand, and at whatever point along the way he had decided to he wasn't going to step up on any kind of platform. And it it almost almost became more the principle of the thing to him than the actual. Mm -hmm. uh, He wasn't afraid to put his feet on that. He was was mad and tantruming that she was going to make him do it. And, of course, she wasn't making him do it. What uh, What she was doing was allowing him to get away with anything but putting on putting his feet on the bridge. And we're, uh, we're talking about just a, a three- or four-inch platform on the ground. It wasn't really a, literally a bridge. There wasn't right. water running underneath it. or anything. It was just a, a solid platform sitting on the ground. Um, he would uh, run out to the side or balk or uh, force her to circle him back. Um, and if she insisted, then he would leap over the bridge uh, like it was a you know, four-foot jump. Mm-hmm. And um, anything, it was just simply a matter of he was not going to put his feet on that bridge no matter what. And he was taking a stand on that issue, and he very much had a see-if-you-can-make-me-do-it kind of attitude. So when a horse is that ingrained, 
that he's not going to do something or it's that defiant. Like you said, this is just, I'm taking this stand. I'm not going to do it. How do you as a rider switch gears to do something that will help instead of do what you've always done? What, what do you need to do to make a change at this point when it's gotten this bad? In this situation, as is often the case, this had been going on for some time, meaning that the horse had gotten away with this. He had, in his mind, um, been rewarded by his behavior, by his refusal. Um, and so anytime you have the situation where a horse has succeeded in his disobedience, in other words, he's gotten away with something and, and from his point of view, been rewarded for it, um, now you're talking about an ingrained pattern. So if the very first time this had happened, she had successfully resolved it. In other words, if, if the very first time he had balked, she had uh, insisted, insisted that he do it right anyway, he probably would have never balked again. But in this situation, he had gotten away with it a lot. And so for every time that he gets away with it, it's a proven success strategy for him. Mm-hmm. So in, in my mind anyway, um, that's not something we can address over the long run. In other words, we can't we can't really make it a little bit better every time because as long as he's getting away with it a little bit, he's going to keep doing it. So what we have to do is totally reprogram this horse's thinking um, and convince him that the strategy he's been having success with is no longer going to work. As of this moment, mm-hmm. it is no longer going to work. And to do that, I think the rider, you're going to have to have some um, very concrete ideas in your head. First of all, what is it you're trying to accomplish? And what most people would say at that point is, well, I, I you know, just want to be able to ride across anything I ask my horse to go without a big fight. But that's not a training plan. What we've got to do is break it down into its smallest possible increment. And in in the case of this horse, and in the case of many horses in this type of situation, um, the the smallest component of this was disobedience. So an obedient horse goes where you point him and moves forward when you ask him to. Mm-hmm. If uh, he wasn't doing either of those things. So um, now we've got to come back and address obedience. And then um, secondly, the issue was, no, this is not about having a fight or going right or going left or leaping in the air. Actually, what I want you to do is put your foot on this platform. So my very first goal with that horse was to just get one foot standing on the platform and not running blindly across it. And um, that turned out to be a pretty big challenge because of how much success he already had. Yes. And I'm trying to remember about how long it took you. I think it might have been about a half an hour of time to just work and train on this horse. It wasn't terribly long, but it was long in our usual TV shoot turnaround time. Well, it wasn't long when you consider the fact that we entirely resolved the force of this issue in one setting. 
Right. So after we were finished, I think we were probably at it for over an hour. Um, but when we were finished, the horse was walking calmly and politely over mm-hmm. anything we put in front of him. And from the feedback we got from the owner, that attitude continued. That stayed, right. And so when you consider how long she'd had the problem and how much success the horse had had, the fact that we totally resolved him and retrained him in an hour doesn't seem much at all. But, <laughs> no, not at all. Um, in the moment, you have to be willing to show the attitude to the horse that I don't care if it takes all day. I got all day, and I'm not leaving until mm-hmm. you put your foot on that bridge. And horses are so very keen to your level of determination and intention that they will pick up on that. If you approach it the opposite and say, no matter what I do, I've got to get you over this bridge, I've got to get you over the bridge right now, he will sense your frustration and he will play on that. Um, As soon as the horse figures out, as soon as you convey to him, you know what, Buster, I got all day and I'm willing to sit here uh, until you come to the right decision, they usually change very quickly after that. Now, in the case of this horse, it was my impression, and I I recommend this to you and your horse if you're in a similar situation, that we needed to work on the ground first. I really needed to show him what I wanted. Uh, first, I had to know what it was I wanted, which was just put your feet on this and stand calmly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to um, have my expectations first. And then it's, it's, in many instances, easier to show a horse something from the ground than it is from the saddle. Um, I could step on the bridge first and say, you know, look, if I can do it, you can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, often you have more control from the ground. In the case of this horse, he uh, was also very rude and tantruming from the ground, too. And we actually spent, I would say, the bulk of the training that took place with this horse took place on the ground because I was able to show him what my objective was. And my objective was not to cross the bridge because he was leaping over it just fine. My objective was to get him to step on it calmly. And uh, we did. We accomplished that from the ground. So then when I got on him, he already had a pretty good idea of what it was I was asking him to do. So the mounted part actually went much quicker. And what do you remember? I think he kind of jumped at you a few times as you asked him to go over the bridge because he would oh, yeah. put his foot on it, and then he actually yeah. tried to get across He's- fast after that. Yeah, he had some great strategies. Um, he came right over the top of me several times. So I had to get very big, and, and I had to, you know, convince him that I wasn't going to tolerate him walking over the top of me. Um, I also had to convince him that he couldn't leave and he couldn't go around it. And all of those took took time. And each of those issues we addressed separately. And his first tactic was to run over right over the top of me, um, which is a highly effective technique because you always step out of the way. So, um, you know, that obviously worked well for him in the past. So I had to school him a little bit just on basic ground manners that had nothing to do with crossing the bridge but had to do with you don't, you don't ever walk over mm-hmm. the top of me. You have to respect my space. 
Then, um, as is typical of this kind of situation, well, once I ruled out that particular strategy, he started on another one. Well, okay, what if I go to the side? No, can't go to the side. Okay, well, what if I jump over it? No, can't right. jump over it. Um, so we had to take each one of those issues one by one um, until we sort of ruled out all of those options. And then what remained was him actually putting a foot on the bridge. And, Julie, at what point did you decide that he was ready for you to try this from the saddle again? Was there a specific thing you were looking for or a certain amount of times that he had passed over the bridge calmly? Absolutely. So I there wasn't any point in me moving up to his back until he became more respectful of me and my space until he became obedient to me, what I was asking him to do, move forward in this direction, and until he actually understood what it was I was asking him to do, which was to put his feet on the platform and stand there. Um, once, once I, as long as there's more to accomplish on the ground, you should stay on the ground. So if I can't get all that stuff on the ground, it's going to be an even bigger fight in the saddle. And I'm at greater risk. Right. Um, so um, just step by step. And But once I had him, once he agreed to put his, put his feet on the bridge and to walk calmly across it, first I had him, made him stand on it with his front feet. Then I made him stand on it with his hind feet. Then I made him walk slowly across it, stop on the, in the middle of the crossing. And uh, once I got all of that, then I said, okay, we should be able to do this from the saddle now. That makes sense. And then did you have to retrain anything once you're in the saddle, or did he pretty much have it at that point? I think it, um, I think we had to have a little bit of a discussion once I was riding him, but the bulk of the training took place on the ground. Um, okay. And that has not to do so much with the specific technique that I use or, or anything like that. That has to do with conveying my attitude to the horse, which was, here's what I expect, and I'm not going to take anything less than that. And and horses are very, very keen to those things. They're very keen to your level of, of determination and motivation and confidence. Once they clue into that, that carries over. I still have that same attitude riding, and he goes, oh, I remember, I remember that attitude when we were working on the ground. <laughs> Uh, this stuff isn't going to work anymore, so therefore I give up. Okay. And then what change did you see in this horse? Like once he decided he was going to step over something, what was he like after that? Well, I can't tell you how many horses I've worked with in similar situations where there's ingrained behavior that the horse has been successful uh, with getting out of whatever it was he didn't want to do, whether that was loading in the trailer or going over a jump or going over a trail obstacle. Um, the biggest battle is convincing the horse that that strategy will no longer work. Once the horse realizes that, it's like you flipped a switch. And they go, never mind, this is not working out for me, I give up. It's just a lot easier for me to do what you're asking me to do. And also, in those cases, it is a lot easier. Walking over the bridge was not nearly as hard as all the other stuff he was doing. 
So um, typically when you have ingrained patterns of behavior and you set about to change them, when the horse makes up his mind, you're done. He's made yeah. up his mind and he has, um, he's given up. Good. And then I know after this, she just could go over any of those obstacles out there on the course. She was going over what they called the Texas two-step, which was a whole bunch of tractor tires and stepping from one platform to another and going over a real bridge. So once he made up his mind, it just seemed like she could go wherever she wanted. Yeah, well, it was really fun to see because the um, once he made up his mind, the issue was done. Yep. And yeah, the bridge, the real bridge he crossed was a high, narrow bridge over a, a running water, and um, it would have been scary for any horse to cross. And he just right. walked right over it like it was nothing. So, once again, that speaks to the fact that he really wasn't afraid to cross that bridge. He had just learned some undesirable behaviors um, because he had had success with them. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, I think this is going to help so many people because this is something that it doesn't matter if it's a bridge or a, a real bridge or some kind of obstacle. The training is the same to get your horse to cross or approach something that they maybe haven't wanted to and you've let them get away with. Yes, and I think the you know, really important thing, the reason why this happens to begin with is because um, – well, first of all, if you ride horses, you are going to eventually encounter a situation where you and your horse don't agree on something. And it's how you handle that disagreement that um, ends up having a long-term effect or not. And uh, if a horse refuses to go somewhere and, for instance, you circle him back, no matter what your intentions are, in his mind, his refusal caused you to turn him away from the thing, from the place he didn't want to go to. And so people reward bad behavior all the time without realizing what they're doing. Without, instead of addressing his refusal as disobedience and saying, no, wait a minute, let's go back to the basics here. When I say go forward, you go forward. When I say stop, you stop. Um, they get caught up in other um, things and they don't realize they're uh, rewarding the disobedience. So um, that's how ingrained behaviors develop. And, again, by the time somebody realizes they have a problem, it's already well ingrained. Mm -hmm. Good, Julie. Well, thank you so much. I think that will help a lot of people. I'm Heidi Malacco. I'm here today with Desiree Johnson from Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. I know your sizing is a little bit interesting. Tell me how you decided to do sizing this way and, and what the sizing process is. All right. Well, when we first started the website and I was working on my sizing page, Eric and I had several discussions how we were going to approach this because industry sizing is all over the place. For instance, I wear a 4 in a Q-Baby and I wear a 10 in another Wow. of riding jeans. So I, that just wasn't going to work for me. So because of the industry sizing and because I just wanted to be creative, you know, I'm a, I'm a creative person, I decided to give them breed names. For instance, my smallest size of jean is an Arabian, mm -hmm. and my largest size of jean is a Nakota. 
Now we have a, a, a we have plus sizes, and um, for instance, the Appaloosa is the the largest gene in the regular size, and then there's a okay. slight pattern break. And the Morgan is the smallest of our plus sizes. Basically, you go to the sizing page and you put your feet together and you take your measurements. And if you give me two numbers, if you gave me your waist and your hip, I could tell you what size of gene from the sizing page to choose. And it's working really, really well. And the people are loving, absolutely loving the breed names. It's kind of exciting and different and new and fun. Right. Well, it helps you find the real measurement rather than trying to fit into something that may or may not be your actual digits anymore. Right, right. It just doesn't work when somebody says, oh, I, you know, I wear a size this, I wear in this gene, this other style gene. That, that doesn't work for me. And when I'm, it's my job, my main job is to fit the first wave. And that brings me to my cult special. But that's my job is I send two genes and I want those gene, one of those genes to fit for them and for me. Otherwise, it's just too much back and forth. And now, tell us a little uh, more about that. How does that, how, did, how do you send that? How do you decide what you're going to send? And then how does that process work with people choosing the best one? Okay, so um, on the website, it's explained um, very clearly what I call is my cult special, C-O-L-T, cult. Mm-hmm. And you put that word anywhere on your order, and I know what it is that you want. Even if you've kind of messed your order up, I'll fix it. So you go to the sizing page and you, you get your two numbers and you choose two breed size sizes that you'll think will work for you. And I and then you make your order and you put your colt in the order notes. All you do is say colt. And I provide a resealable bag and a prepaid shipping label. And I ship you, I ship you the two pairs of jeans and a successful colt is one you love and you keep and it fits, mm. and then you just pop the other in the resealable bag using the label that I have provided that's already paid for, and you ship it back, and I don't charge for the gene until you tell me you want to keep one. And, boy, it's, it's working great. You know, Good. the gals, if they have any questions, they call me, um, and if we miss, we just switch it out. And But 95% of the time, uh, the cult special, it's just, it's it's working it's working for everybody. Good, very good. Well, I think that just takes into consideration real riders, real body shapes, and trying to find what's really right for you and what's going to be the most comfortable once you're riding, once you're up in the saddle. Thanks for listening to Julie Goodnight's Horse Master Academy podcast, presented by Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. Check out SmoothStride.com and find them on Facebook to thank them for making this podcast possible. Also, be sure to visit JulieGoodnight.com slash podcasts for the full library of audio interviews you can listen to in the car or at the barn. 